We're going to just briefly be, if you would take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 21. Along with John and Hannah, uh, Harley and the Wheelers had opportunity to get to mingle with dozens of other singles and couples and families who are doing what John and Hannah are doing in remote tribes and remote places and in cities where there are they are unreached peoples, meaning there are not established churches and gospel witnesses among those peoples. They are all of them putting their lives in peril to take the gospel to these difficult and hostile places. And yet when you meet them, they are joyful and they are enthusiastic about what they are doing. And it raises the question, why? What moves them? The answer is to that question, at least in part, is found here in the text before us in John 21. It's a... (laughs) It's a huge chapter full of grand lessons. We'll just scratch the surface. And in just a little bit of time that we have this morning, what I'm simply going to do is you can dig on your own and dig up more, but I'm just going to have us just read the passage and note four things that Jesus is doing here in this passage with His disciples and find a few applications along the way. We're in a short series looking at some of the post-resurrection appearances of Christ, the appearances of Christ after He rose from the dead, between the resurrection and the ascension. John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of His disciples were together. You might recall on Resurrection Sunday, the disciples were ecstatic. They were overjoyed to find that Jesus had risen from the dead. The reports had been coming in through the day from the women who had seen angels and then seen Jesus. They didn't believe it. It wasn't until that evening as they are there gathered in the room, locked in the room, Jesus appears with them and they are just ecstatic, overjoyed. He's alive! Look down at verse 14 here in this chapter. It says this, it says, This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. This passage here in John 21 is just the third time that the disciples have seen Jesus since He rose. The first time, I just mentioned, resurrection evening. The next time we looked at last week, later in John chapter 20, but it was a week later, Sunday a week later, again they were gathered in the room, locked in, and Jesus appeared. This, the third time, happens at least a week and probably two, maybe more after that. And now they are in Galilee, not down in Jerusalem any longer. I say that just because we need to understand that the disciples, while I know they were ecstatic and overjoyed that Jesus was alive, that He had risen from the dead, I'm sure that excitement has been tempered over the days and weeks by the reality that Jesus has only been with them occasionally and never at 
a time when they choose or can control. Just He appears for a little while and then He leaves. You might recall that on that resurrection morning that when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, His words to her were, Stop clinging to Me, for I'm going to ascend. I'm going to go to the Father. You also might recall that the night before the crucifixion, in that upper room, John chapter 13, John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, Jesus is talking with the disciples there in the upper room. They're celebrating the Passover, but all through the meal, all through the time, Jesus keeps saying, He reiterates, He says it again and very plainly, I am leaving. I'm going away. I'm going to go to My Father. And the disciples, you recall, they're not getting it. They're not understanding it. Thomas, Lord, we don't know where You're going. Jesus is about to leave. There's 40 days between the resurrection and His ascension. And what the disciples don't realize, I think Jesus is deliberately doing here, is He is weaning them from His physical presence. Jesus is with them. He comes to them. They they spend time together. But before the crucifixion, they were with Jesus literally 24-7 for over three years. What a shock it is. Not only was He crucified, but now He rose. That's all a shock. But now He's not with them anymore like He was. Jesus is helping them to understand that things would never again be the same as what they were. But in fact, it would be better. That night in the upper room, before the crucifixion, Jesus said this. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. After having just told Him again, I'm going to leave. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Jesus says, if if I don't go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, won't come. But when I do go away, I will send Him to you. So ten days after the ascension, we know what happened was Pentecost. And on Pentecost, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit Upon them, and the reality is this: from the from that day until now, and until Jesus comes again, every believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, not just with us, but living in us. Sometimes I think, if you're like me, it's easy to think that man, if I could just be like the disciples, to be able to walk with Jesus. Follow him around to see, to hear, to hang out with him. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think that would just be the most wonderful thing, but Jesus says, no, it's better not to be with me, but to have me in you, to have my spirit in you. The passage continues, verse 3 Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. 
He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, his, put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Peter says, I'm going fishing. The others say, us too. They join him. Matthew's Gospel informs us that Jesus had told him to go to Galilee to a mountain where he would meet them. You see that in Matthew 28. He had told that through the women who had gotten that from Jesus. And apparently Jesus had told him himself when he met with them. So apparently they were supposed to be waiting in Galilee on a mountain. They're in Galilee, but they're fishing, which isn't on a mountain. You don't fish on mountains, you fish in lakes. We can only imagine what had been going through their minds in these weeks since Jesus rose from the dead. We can only imagine because Scripture doesn't tell us but I have a feeling that they were consumed with many questions. Why isn't Jesus here now? Why isn't He here all the time? Why do we see Him so little? When is He going to set up His kingdom? Is there still a kingdom? What are, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we going to do? Is there still a mission? Is there still a purpose Doubts, if there is a purpose, can Jesus still use me now? You see, Peter had certainly, certainly failed big. He had promised much. He denied Christ three times to a little girl. But all of the disciples failed. All of them, we noted last week, had made big promises that we won't ever abandon you. And every one of them cut and ran when Jesus was arrested. Not one of the disciples was looking for Jesus' resurrection even though He had told them many times, the Son of Man, I must die and I'll be raised from the dead on the third day. None of them were expecting a resurrection. None of them were going to look for a resurrection. None of them believed when the report started coming in, He's raised from the dead. They had all failed miserably, and so the question, could we possibly be of any use now? So whether it was out of boredom, or whether it was out of discouragement, or whether it was out of doubting, or whatever, whether it was just that they were ready to quit, for some reason, instead of being up on a mountain waiting for Jesus to come, they have gone fishing. So now Jesus shows up. They don't know it, but Jesus is about to take them on a little trip down memory lane. See, Luke 5, and we won't turn there this morning, but Luke 5 records when James and John and Peter first became followers of Jesus. Jesus is taking them down a trip down memory lane back to that first moment when they started following Jesus. Let me just tell you the story there in Luke 5. James, Peter, and John were professional fishermen. 
And they had spent the night, all night, fishing and caught absolutely nothing. An embarrassing and financially unrewarding night for professionals. As day broke, they came into shore. They began to wash and clean up their gear. And Jesus comes along, followed by a huge crowd. And Jesus gets into Peter's boat and they just push out just a little ways into the water. And Jesus, using His boat as a speaker's platform, begins to teach the crowd. When Jesus is done, He says, Peter, take us out just a little bit. And they go out into the deep waters, it says. And, and Jesus says, now throw out your nets. And Peter, James, and John, and whoever else is there, they all are like, you know, you're just wrong. It's the wrong time of day. This is the wrong spot. It's the wrong depth. Everything is wrong. But they humor Jesus and they put the net out. And you remember the story. They cannot pull the nets in. There's so many fish. The nets are starting to break. They call the other boat over. They load their boat up with fish. They load the other boat up with fish. So much the boats are about to sink. And Jesus looks at Peter and James and John and says, from now on, you'll be catching men, not fish. And they pull the boats back to shore. And it says at that moment they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, some three years later, they've gone back to fishing and they've had another long, embarrassing, dismal night of fishing where they've caught absolutely nothing. And just as the dawn is breaking, this stranger on the shore calls out in what was probably a little friendly heckling. Hey kids, you caught anything? And he challenges them to try fishing on the other side of the boat. The surprising thing is that they do what this stranger says. Probably just to prove him wrong so he'll shut up. And you know, as, it, as we just read, the nets are loaded! They can't pull them in! And John blurts out probably the only time John ever got words out before Peter. John blurts out, it's the Lord! Peter, not to be outdone, didn't get the first word, so he throws on his shirt and just jumps in the water and starts swimming to shore. Jesus has taken them back to the beginning. And the message is incredibly clear. Hey guys, remember? Do you remember? Are you wondering what you should be doing? Don't you remember what the mission is? It hasn't changed. You left all of this for a higher calling to be fishers of men, not fishermen. Jesus is reminding them about what they're to be doing. And so I ask you this morning what Harley's last question was. What are you living for? What am I living for? As believers in Jesus Christ, our mission is to bring people to Him. We have a choice in life. We can live life for our, chasing our own purposes. We can live life on our own terms. And if we do, we'll end up with empty nets. 
When life is over, the nets will be empty. Or we can live life following Jesus. We can live life for Him. And if we do, that's the lesson of this whole incident. If we do, our nets are going to be overflowing. We will have a fruitful, abundant life. And by the way, in talking about that, I'm not talking about your vocation. I'm not talking about where you work. I'm talking about your purpose. Sadly, there are pastors and there are missionaries who are living life for themselves. They'll have empty nets at the end of life. There are also plenty of doctors and engineers and street sweepers and mechanics and factory workers who are living life for Jesus. And their nets are going to be full. That's the point. What are you living for? Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And by the way, just a little side note, I just had to throw it in because I did the first service. Some people think this, that Peter was a really big guy and this text shows Peter was a really big guy. He had left a bunch of other guys in the boat trying to bring the fish in board and they couldn't because there were too many of them and they just brought the whole boat in with the net still full of fish. They're still hanging out there. There's 153 of them and these fish in the Sea of Galilee to be considered large fish, which it says here they are, would be in the neighborhood of of two plus pounds. That's over 300 pounds of fish. Peter goes out by himself and brings the whole thing in. He's a big buff guy. Okay, at the end of editorial note, back to the text. Though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask Him, who are you? Though they they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. The third thing that I see here Jesus is doing with His disciples is He was restoring them. They had all blown it. They had all bailed. They had all deserted Jesus. They had all failed. And Peter had failed especially bigly, if that's the right word. (laughs) He'd failed especially big. And the question I'm sure for Peter and for all the disciples and for you and me at times is this. I failed. I've blown it. Does Jesus still want me? Can Jesus still use me? Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? 
One time, by the way, for each time that, Je- that Peter had denied Jesus that night of the crucifixion. Three times Peter answers, Yes, Lord, You know I love You. Implied in Peter's answer is that Jesus knows his heart. There's no sense trying to hide anything. Lay it all out here. But Jesus, You know me. You know I love You. I failed. I've blown it. My love is imperfect. My love is flawed. But you know I love you. Three times Jesus responds, Feed my sheep. If you love me, then care for my people. Have you blown it? Have you failed? Have you let Jesus down? The message here is come back to Jesus. He restores fallen and failed followers. For all those who love Jesus and come back, failed and fallen, there's still a spot for productive service. Isn't that good news? Keep going. I'm just going to read two more verses. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show what, by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus tells Peter, in essence, there's going to be a high cost to following Jesus. Peter, you are going to be taken captive and you're going to die because you follow me. And following that horrible sales pitch, Jesus says, now Peter, follow me. So why would Peter follow Jesus into that? Still today, it's not easy to follow Jesus. It's hard in the southern Philippines. It's hard on Paradise Island. But it's hard in St. Charles County too. And the Scripture tells us that for anyone who seeks to follow Jesus, for every disciple there is a cost. For some it will involve suffering. For some it will involve death. But for all, there is a cost. And that's Jesus' sales pitch. And then He says, follow Me. Why would Peter, why would our brothers and sisters in the southern Philippines, why would we follow Jesus into that? The text, I think, gives us two reasons. The first is simply because it's Jesus who calls. Jesus says, Peter, follow me. Jesus has just asked, Peter, do you love me? Peter has said yes. See, when when you love the person who's asking, you follow them. Love and loyalty demand following Jesus even into that. For all of us for whom Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sin, Jesus died to 
provide the way for us into heaven. Jesus loved us so much and we have responded to that and we say, Jesus, I love You. Love and loyalty demand that we follow Jesus. Even if it means into suffering and death. The other thing that's in this text, why would I follow Jesus, goes back to point number two. By the way, the last point is Jesus is preparing His disciples. He's telling Peter, the cost is high. Follow me. Why would we follow the other reason? Go back to point two. Do you want empty nets or full nets? Why do John and Hannah and all of those others, why do they every day put their lives and everything in peril for the sake of Jesus? Because they love Jesus. And that's where He's called them to go. And they say there is nothing else better, nothing else worth more than to follow Him even into difficulty. And so Jesus calls to us. And He says, follow Me. It may not be into suffering. It may not be into death. It just may be into the difficulty of living for Jesus in St. Charles County. But there's a cost to that. Are we going to do it? That's the question. Father, You've allowed us to see here that third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. So many lessons and many more than we looked at this morning. But it brings it down to that big question. Will we follow Jesus? We've seen Peter here who jumps in and follows Jesus. Ultimately, he dies for Christ as do all of these others except possibly John. But because they follow Jesus, we're here today as believers in Christ. They literally turn the world upside down with the good news of Jesus. We've seen this exemplified in the lives of John and Hannah and others there in the southern Philippines. And they are literally changing the lives of people as they bring as they are changing the eternal destinies of those who are coming to place their faith and trust in Jesus. And now Jesus has asked us the question, will we follow him? Lord, I pray that the answer from each of us is yes, Lord, we'll follow you. Because we love you. Because we really don't want to waste our time and waste our lives. We don't want empty nets. For the glory of Jesus, we ask these things. And in His name.